I'm Claire Liu, and I'm the CEO of Know Your Team software that helps you avoid becoming a bad boss. And I have one of my favorite bosses actually today here on the podcast. I have with me Pooja Brown, who is the VP of Engineering at DocuSign, a app that I feel like I just used the other week. I, I use it all the time, and if you've ever had to sign anything, I'm sure you've used it as well. And so. I had the pleasure of interviewing Pooja, though, I want to say maybe a month or two ago. As she spoke on this panel here in San Francisco for the San Francisco Engineering Leadership Group, and I was blown away, honestly, by the insights that she shared. So, of course, had to have her here on the podcast and excited to ask you, Pooja, this one question about leadership. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for such a warm welcome. I'm honored to be a part of this podcast. You know, I look forward to the next few minutes with you. I've been in this tech, this profession of tech and tech management for almost about 15, 18 years now, right? Sort of when I look back, I keep lying about it because I'm like, oh my God, that makes me sound super <laughs> old. But I have for over two years. I've been in this profession for a while and, you know, in the last sort of seven years I've been at DocuSign. I'm glad you got a chance to use DocuSign. And, you know, for me, I hope that, you know, your audience has used DocuSign. I feel DocuSign finds its way in anything meaningful in people's life events. You know, for me personally, when I decided to work for DocuSign, I'd heard about it because every time something important was going to happen to me, suddenly DocuSign was in the middle of it. You know, my green card and I bought my house and I yeah, sort of like hard things like that, right? It's sort of, you know, I always hard and meaningful things. I always found DocuSign in the middle of. So I've been, I've been here for seven years and building teams for DocuSign to do some great work. Wonderful. Well, I think from those years, by the way, like I was saying, I mean, there's, there's wisdom and, a ton of insight that you know only time can really buy. So that's that's what I'm excited to, to talk to you more about. So on that note, this one question that I'd love to ask you that I've been asking the leaders that I respect and admire is what's one thing, or it can be several things that you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? Every experience is a learning opportunity. And there's, you know, I, I keep thinking that that's all we do every day is we learn a lot and we used to reapply what we learned to day-to-day experiences, right? But when I think about things that I've learned as a leader, right, and things that I wish almost that I'd learned a little earlier, if anything, right? But when I think about my own career in tech management, I still think fundamentally you have to know your skills. Whichever career you're picking, Right. Whether it's technology, what's legal, whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Right. You have to be good at what you do to start with. You have to have the skills. And I say skills. Skills can be acquired anyway. Doesn't mean education. It could be acquired in any form. But you have to really enjoy the profession that you've picked. And you have to actually have some sort of real experience with it. Uh, You know, and I'll tell you why I keep saying that, because. Leadership is about managing people or leading people, right? Sort of like I keep thinking of there's there's managers and there's leaders, right? And technically, you know, people want to work for leaders, right? In general, 
right? In whatever profession you pick, and in technology especially, right? It's like people want to work for leaders who can set a vision forward, right? And then you've hi- hopefully you've hired well, and they can sort of help execute you on that mission, right? But going back to what I said was, yep. you want to really understand the skill and the discipline that you're a part of, and you want to have real-world experience yourself with it. That way is when you're leading teams, you can actually understand how you can support them. You know, you, can, you can't hand wave your, your way out of it, right? At some point in life, you have to have empathy to what they did to be able to really be a few steps ahead to unblock some of the challenges that they're going to get to, right? Ultimately, leading yes. or managing people is about people. You are going to spend a lot right. of your time with just people, right? It's because right. you want to keep motivating them. You want to keep getting them aligned with why it's important what they do the value that they bring, right? I think those are all important things, period. So don't be surprised if your calendar looks like a lot of people management, but you need to be able to keep going back to your roots and your discipline, right? And whatever that takes for you to stay in touch with that, right? Is that people say, well, how do you stay technical while you're a manager? You'll find ways, right? Yeah. Um, even if I talk to people, you know, 60% of my day, I'm talking about technology, Right. I'm making technical decisions every day. Right. So your team has to respect those technical decisions, which means you need to have a way to stay on top of technology. Right. That's sort of like, right. you know, it's, it's an interesting sort of feeling is that, you know, as I grew my career in engineering management, I realized my job was about people. But I realized yes. that no matter what, I have to keep in touch with the real skill set that I bring, which is technology. And so that's sort of like one thing. And, you know, you figure out how you spend time with it and how you make time for it, right? Yes. I think it's a pretty actually counterintuitive insight in the sense that, you know, in the sense exactly what you said is sort of most traditionally or widely accepted and true perhaps, right? Is that, okay, when you manage people, it's about people. But I love what you said about just not being able to hand wave away problems. So I think sort of inherent in in what you're describing is just not being fooled by the illusion of your own expertise and making sure that it's rooted in something real and something that you've either experienced or are continuing to hone. Uh, Because it's, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, I, I, you know, I'll I'll pose a question here. Is it easy to lose touch of that, in your opinion, as a manager, as you okay, as you get further away from the work? Yeah, and, and you know, you can get fooled with it because if you know, if you think of, you know, you're in a domain, right, and in, you know the okay. domain really well, and you've sort of been in that domain for a while, and you get more and more comfortable with it, the illusion that you know your stuff continues to follow you, right, which is fine, <laughs> but the opportunity cost of being comfortable in that illusion is high for you, for your team, and for the company. You're running, you know, as an example, you run a software as a service, right? Is that ultimately yeah. you are, you are running a company, you're not, it's not, you're not producing Coke, right? Or like, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not <laughs> exactly, you're actually building software. So you need to know what's happening in the industry and what is okay. happening on the floor as people build software. Right. And if you don't make those investments, right, your gig's going to be up pretty soon. You know, people say, well, do POCs on, on the side or, you know, experiment with the new tech stack. If you make it a priority, you will figure out ways to do it. Right. That could be going deep diving into an architectural decision. 
that could be diving and, you know, really understanding the pros and cons and, and, you know, challenging the teams to think about those critically, asking the right questions, being involved in the right architectural discussions. That could be taking on a hard incident and being a part of it and driving the outcomes of what happened and making sure that that incident doesn't happen. I don't know what it is, right? But I feel like if you make it a priority, you will make sure that that part of your skill set doesn't go obsolete. Absolutely. I'm actually really inspired now listening to, to you sharing this because I'm thinking, how do I personally, you know, reflecting, how do I stay in touch with the subject matter around this, you know, the fact that we are a software tool to begin with? I think, okay, you know, actually, it's hilarious. Like I built you know, my personal website from scratch, you know, I, I do small, small coding projects on the side. They're not very good, but, you know, just enough, right. right, to keep myself fresh. And then the way that I've always actually thought of our company is, you know, even more than a software company, we're an education company. So the amount of reading that I do around leadership, the amount of people I talk to, the amount of, you know, executive coaches' minds I pick, that sort of thing, right? Like be, making sure that I am fresh on every study paper written around leadership, right? I'm thinking, okay, I do those things. And I love this idea that it can be different for every person too, right? So I, I just appreciate very personally that, that reminder, Pooja. So thank you. How about for yourself though, in coming to this realization, mm-hmm. when in your career did it sort of hit you like, oh, I better start making sure I'm finding ways to stay in touch with the work. Was there something that happened or maybe did you yourself have a boss who wasn't as in touch with the work as they should have. And you thought, Ooh, that's, you know, maybe hurting their ability to manage or when, when did this realization occur? I always feel you kind of treat others the way you want to see yourself treated, right? It's sort of like, you think of it that way, right? I, when I look at the people I respect around me and look at the careers that I really want to follow or, 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 or I'm curious of how they happen, right? Yeah. More and more I interact with those folks, I realize how deep their knowledge is in the sphere that they're working with. So, you know, th- there was no aha moment. It was just a realization of the people that I think are awesome are the ones who are actually really yep. good from a technical point of view. Right. And then there's, you know, there's, yes. there's another part to this question that I do want to answer, which is, you know, how do you work with people and sort of how do you really be true to your own self? Right. But I always found them as a very strong balance between technical and being able to work with people, right? And that was why sort of I realized that that's just, that's important, right? And when I, when I work with my teams and, you know, when you do career planning and career building, right, is that you have to be able to balance both of those. If you can sort of, if you can identify the next technical challenges folks can take for them to really enjoy or be a part of the next growth in their career, then they're not going to believe that you're actually invested in their career, right? Is sort of be better at your job is not a feedback, right? You actually have to create opportunities for them to take on or identify a matchmaking, right? Is that, okay, well, you know, given this skill set, this is what you can do. And this is a need of the business. And I think this could be the next technical challenge for you to do. It's always a symbiotic relationship, right? Is that some of it is a challenge. Some of it is, is this the right fit for the business? Because ultimately, they're giving you, they're putting you in charge of making that decision. So you have to keep balancing the two things, right? But I think unless you do that, your team's not going to see your value pretty quickly. And the organization will also stop seeing your value. Like ultimately, you know, these jobs that we have is, you know, I'm a VP engineering. Like my job is to be able to understand the risk associated with a technical decision. 
Right? It's always about risk when you're talking to stakeholders, right? And yeah, how do you assess risk if you don't understand the technical choices that are being made? Like, I don't think it was ever like, oh my God, what am I doing? It's just sort of like the, the way I started drifting and following people made me realize why. I think that's amazing in the sense that you really clearly paid very close attention to the people who inspired you, the people who you thought were amazing, and uh, sort of extracted, okay, well, these are the things that they're doing. And I think what I find remarkable about that it was this insight that you extracted or, or discovered is, I don't know, I think a lot of times when we think about leaders who we admire or who inspire us, we think of sort of, oh, the broad characteristics of, oh, you know, they seem charismatic, they seem dependable, they sort of were very eloquent. Sort of being able to to back up their expertise or to have a real deep-rooted knowledge is not sort of an obvious thing one gets inspired by, in my opinion. So I, I love that that's something that you picked up. Would you say that you've been more influenced by sort of positive role models that you've had in your career or more by negative ones or maybe both equally? Some of it is cultural, right? It's like I come from I come from India and, you know, culturally authority is what you look up to, right? So it just is what it is, right? And then a woman from India, so a submissive culture generally, right, is that you just look up to authority. And yep, very similar to Korean culture. I'm Korean. Yep. So when you ask me whether it's positive or negative, right, is that it's hard for me to go down the negative because my assumption is that if somebody's authority, it's it has it's it was the right decision, and I have to learn, right? So I yeah I can't tell you an example of negative, right? But I can tell you that the positive role models definitely multiply me, multiply what I can. Hmm. For me, that has always been a positive it's association of following positive leaders, right? Um, I, you know, I've, I've worked with someone and, you know, I'm going to keep names out of it, right? But it's sort of like it was yeah, of course. <laughs> one of the most, the strongest technical people I'd met, right? Just, he just, he knew his stuff, right? But the fact that he could explain it in more business slash sales context was what was more attractive to me. Right. That we weren't talking abstractly about a technology addition or an architectural change. We were talking about that change influencing some major business outcomes for the company. To me, that was so attractive. And in my mind, such a hard problem to solve is that, you know, people, say, OK, you know, we're going to make this do this rewrite or architecture. Or we're going to you know, make these technical investments. To be able to explain those in a way that people who are non-technical get actually excited about those investments and want to invest in it is a hard problem. Mm -hmm. The role models I've always had are the ones who are able to do that really well, right? And that just, it comes with the thoroughness of both domains. Right, right, exactly. And you really need to know the technology. And, yes. and to be able to sell it to both sides is not an easy job. I mean, speaking of, of, you know, cultural, you know, bridging, bridging cultures here, I mean, I mean, think of it almost like translating one language into into another. In order to, to be an effective translator, you actually have to know both languages extremely well. Like it requires an immense, deep knowledge on both sides, not just one or the other. So, you know, to sort of mirror uh, a comparison here on the engineering side, right, speaking to the business side, you, you need both. It's a really good it. I never thought of it that way. I <laughs> translating and you know, the, the more skilled you get in both domains, right? And that's why like I, right. you know, I seek out opportunities where I can learn either parts of it. 
right? Because ultimately, as a leader, you need to be able to speak both languages. It's funny to me is that a lot of times engineers are the ones who actually get most motivated by business outcomes. Hmm. You'd be, you know, people assume that they, they like to talk about tech talks. A lot of engineers actually want to see the business outcome they created. And they can oh, be totally. excited about that, right? And just sort of like right. to be able to even switch dialogues on both sides, right? And to be able to motivate one with the other is, is part of my job, is part of any job as a leader. Absolutely. When have you seen this backfire? So just to sort of provide like a devil advocate's point of view. So when have, or if at any time, have you noticed when a leader or a manager will sort of use their technical expertise or domain knowledge as a crutch for dismissing people's decisions or not delegating things or being a bottleneck. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is, do you feel like that's common or, or, or for folks like something like, how do you avoid, you know, right? Like how do you avoid accidentally leaning on that too much as well? It always happens, right? Is that, you know, the, the smartest guy or gal in the room, right? And it's easy to latch on to that technically, right? Because to some extent for a lot of people, that is language that a lot of them don't understand. Right. And if they don't understand the risk, then you can really freak them out about the risk you're about to take. Right. So sort of like I think it's the power in your hands that you need to take not lightly. Right. But I think with it also, you know, humility is a part of it. Right. It's a humility and a humbleness. Right. It's a sure, you know, one thing. Right. You might not know a lot. Right. So be able to ask the right questions. Right. So they, the, the folks who don't understand your language can actually even bother to understand the risk that you might be bringing to the table, right? It's just sort of like I've always seen these conversations when you're like your classic like Dilbert, like a business guy talking to an architect, <laughs> sort of like you're like going nowhere, right? Right, right. Backfiring totally happens because the business outcomes aren't realized. My job is to keep bringing back the why we're doing this. You know, ultimately – we are responsible to the business we work for, right? Yep. And the the more sort of management or the, the sort of higher in the org that you get, right, it gets harder and harder, right? But that is kind of the job you're paid for, is how do you create business outcomes with subject matter experts in completely different disciplines, right? And how do you get them aligned? And, you know, you can say, oh, it's a lot of meetings. No, it's actually not. It's making people who talk different languages understand the value of the outcome that we're proposing and why their effort is needed, why their support is needed and how we can get there. It it is super critical. You ask the question of like, when has this backfired? Right. And I want to say that the reason I brought up humility or humbleness is you also know why you're brought into the conversation, like as in point, you know, I am engineering, right? And I can make recommendations. I can inform the business about my recommendations, but I also have to give in at times, right? It's all about compromises, right? And one of these vectors is going to be more important. Don't know what, given the situation, one vector is going to be more important. And realizing why your opinion in the space that you are an SME for is important and when to whack off is a very important thing. Right. Like like at some point you have to realize that business is making a recommendation. Assume that there are subject matter experts there. Just the right. way they're assuming you're the subject matter expert when you're saying this is the estimation or the risk is high. Right. I think when people don't honor the expertise in each of the disciplines, that's when things get contentious. 
Like it's good. Yes. Yeah, I need to be able to talk business and tech. I need to be able to do all these sides. But ultimately, I'm an engineer. Ultimately, I am in the technology profession. So I also need mm-hmm. to back off when the recommendation from a technology point of view is done. And I feel that a lot of contentions when people overreach in areas they're really not subject matter expertise with. They might have an opinion, which is fine. I could have an opinion about, you know, what the next feature looks like. But ultimately, that's not my expertise. We have people hired to do that. And I can help inform and support them. But that is not why I'm included in the conversation. So it's sort of like it's just it's a personal thing for me is, you know, when you say when this backfires, I've seen it backfire when people forget their expertise and they overreach into other people's Mm. expertise. And then you have egos and uh, people challenging each other. And then you realize that, you know, the conversation is not what it started with. It went completely else. And it's a fight about something else. I'm sure, we've all been in meetings like that. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that that's never happened to me at all, ever. <laughs> I love the duality that you presented, though. So this firm rootedness and curiosity in your own domain, yet a humility to accept that. That that's your domain, right? And it doesn't mean you should, you know, you shouldn't learn about sales if you're in engineering or you shouldn't, you know, want to learn about support if you're in design, et cetera. But that when you're having that conversation, I mean, it sounds like there's an element of trust in the other person's expertise. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, back to this languages analogy, I, I mean, a common framework for, okay, we want to get these things done. Well, interestingly, I think the more rooted you are in your own domain, right? it's very easy to lose sight of that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the more the more involved and the more in the weeds and if, oh, if they only knew and understood and saw things exactly how I saw them, the easier it is to see that bigger picture. So I guess my next question for you, Pooja, is how do you at the same time go really deep and maintain that connection to your domain and expertise? So if I'm a designer, you know, being really up to date and understanding design, if I'm an engineer, salesperson, et cetera, et cetera, or sales manager, how do you do that without, at the same time, losing sight of the business, you know, vision, understanding broader strategy? I'm essentially trying to figure out how you balance this. <laughs> like, what are the ways that you think about this? Or do you do you have some self checks or things that you do or think about to just make sure that you're continually connected? I, you know, I wish I had like a workbook or a playbook of how I do. I'll give you some things that I. It's fine if you don't. I yeah. I'll give you some things that I do. Right, is that one is sort of, you know, I keep telling people is I have two little girls and you know it's funny like when I'm trying to get my five year old to listen to me I keep telling her you know keep your listening ears on you know listening ears on is your listening ears on are you listening to me yes right and I <laughs> that's one thing I I keep reminding myself is keep your listening ears on. People will teach you. You know, you you come into the office and you have you bump into give and take thirty people a day. You have thirty opportunities potentially to learn about something. Is it possible for you to maybe deep dive into a couple of those? Right? It's like when I do one on ones with people. Right? Is that that's a great opportunity to learn. Like one on ones, people assume that okay, it's your manager talking to this and about your career or you know checking in. Right? It is also your opportunity to be humble enough to know that they're closer to the ground and they they will teach you right and and approaching those conversations with your listening years on keeps you close to the day to day 
Right. And I think that's that's something I, that I that I keep practicing with is that, you know, whether it's, you know, your managers, your skip levels, you know, the sort of, you know, everybody says you should do skip level check ins. I actually do it as a way for my own learning exercise. Right. Is that OK? Right. You learn so much. You learn what the code is happening. You, you learn you learn what their problems are. You you understand where the conflicts coming, the, the teams. There, there's tons of opportunities there. Right. So I would say it's just sort of like approach our interview conversation with your listening ears on. Right. And and when you don't know, and, and this is pretty, you know, everybody will say this, but ask questions and be like, it is so it is everybody tells you that, but it is so hard to ask a question. And you'll be surprised by just asking a question once you, sh- you show humility and so many people want to teach you. Right. And it gives them a chance to feel good about it, too. So I'm just like, it's like, it's like a, it's a win-win situation. You just learned and you made the person feel good about it. So get over the fact that you think you don't know it. Right. And just the question. I love that sentiment. Yeah. When you start thinking that way, you'll find opportunities, you know, don't, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty, actually looking at a whole request and figuring out what happened that could have resulted in this incident and asking questions around it, you know, people welcome it. People welcome it as an interest in what they do and an understanding versus, hey, why you broke? Why did you break this? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think if you keep your keep your listening ears on, you'll you'll keep finding opportunities. I another example I see is, you know, people show up to meetings with their laptops and, you know, they're multitasking. And, you know, I take pride in multitasking. Trust me when I, you know, as a mother, being able to create multiple lunches and coffee and breakfast for the kids <laughs> and getting ready and getting out of the house, answering emails. Multitasking is, is natural to me. Right. But I also think it's it is a disservice, right, when you walk into a meeting and you decide to multitask because you were losing an opportunity to learn, right? Either decide not to go, right? But if you're going in there, take the time to learn because trust me, there's a lot of ways that people are actually trying to teach you. I <laughs> I'm smiling over here because I'm I literally as you were saying, put your listening ears on. You know, I was always imagining like you know the big like Dumbo elephant <laughs> ears, right? Like that was the visual I had in my mind. Do it's so and, like it's like little daycare. Like put your big listening ears on. Like I'm, yeah, process this. And as like oh, hilarious as that sounds, I think it's like so effective because it is like that almost exaggeration of a practice that helps us actually stay in touch as leaders and to make sure that we're receptive to the things that we need to know of and to make sure that we're staying in touch. I mean, even as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, it's so interesting. We've done so much research and writing on one-on-ones. We have a tool and know your team in one-on-ones. And I was thinking, gosh, I wonder, you know, if we reframed one-on-ones in companies and teams more as learning sessions right? Or even in the beginning, just sort of had a way for people to think like, oh, do you have your listening ears on, whether it's blatant or implicit, but just how much that would change the conversation? Because everything that you described, Pooja, you're saying, oh, Claire, I don't have a playbook. It's not even about that, because what you described was was a mindset, right? It's, it's not that you need to be checking things off a box, right? And just doing them out of because you need to do them. But it's truly a mindset. It's like, okay, I'm putting these listening ears on and I'm seeing all these opportunities from people I bump into to one-on-one meetings truly is a moment for people to teach me something. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's such a wonderful um, shift in perspective for so many folks. So thank you for, for sharing that. 
So Pooja, I have one last question here. I mean, I could ask you many, many, many more questions, but to be respectful of your time, the question I have is more specific to new managers, because we've talked a lot about sort of the, uh, a manager who has sort of risen through the ranks and, you know, maybe spent some time you know, away from their expertise, and they need to get back in touch with it. So what advice would you have for a new manager or an aspiring manager, just for them to be successful, right? Is it along these lines of, you know, make sure you really know your domain as you sort of aspire to be a leader? Or is there something else that you feel like new managers and aspiring managers lose sight of or aren't told very often? You know, I think, you know, the listening, keep your listening ears on is, is something recurring, right? But I would say one thing, and this is, you know, it, it is generic, but I still think it's meaningful is be yourself. Why I say be yourself, you know, people say be authentic, right? Is that you were promoted because you did something well, right? And that doesn't mean you're going to keep doing that, right? That That's different, right? But that's what you know. If you know something, you're grounded in it. And that's the skill that you bring. Right. And that's just sort of I keep reminding myself is that, you know, as I'll give you a simple example is even though, you know, I'm an engineer and there's a lot of stereotypes around engineering is like, you know, they're introverts, whatnot. Right. I like people. I like working with people. I like building partnerships because I know that when the hard times come, these partnerships are the ones that will actually help me move forward. Right. Who move forward the problem, whatever that means. Right. But it's just sort of like. It is, I like working with people, right? And that to me is an authentic self, right? And I think when when I'm truest to what I actually enjoy doing and it's true to my core values, my best self comes out, right? So I, I know I'm sort of hand-waving this answer, but like as a new manager, I keep saying is that, you know, what what you are is what is most important, right? And being honest with what you are and what you don't know is probably what's going to get you to the next thing, Sort of like, just don't deny it. I'm fearing you. Yeah. And you've never like promoted anybody. It's okay. Like, it's okay. just, just be honest with it. Right. And get some, and, and tell people that people who've done it, get some feedback. Be on, like, just don't fake it. Like there's a lot of like, don't yep. until you make it. I said, don't do that in management. Or you just <laughs> like, don't fake it till you make it. Be honest with what you are. Be honest with what you know and be brutally honest with what you don't know. And trust me, People will reach out to help. Yes. I find that advice so refreshing, Pooja, because I think for so many new managers and aspiring managers, I mean, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of new managers that we work with, time and time up, you know, again, comes up this, you know, true insecurity around, oh, I don't know enough or, oh, I've never done this before. This is my first time managing people, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I felt that before. And I think the sort of language and the tone around, you know, how we treat new managers. It's all about becoming and developing and getting to that next place. And I just, I just love this. Yeah. Like I was saying, very refreshing advice to just accept and sort of be, you know, what you are and to, to admit what you don't know, but to not feel like um, that should be sort of any reason for, for downfall, but that, that honesty of where you are, where you at is exactly where you're supposed to be. And you'll get to that, you know, you'll learn and, and grow in the ways that you, you know, you want to eventually, but to, to be yourself. I think it's, yeah, such a wonderful piece of advice. So thank you. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your advice today. And yeah, appreciate everything. 
Well, thank you for your time, Claire. Um, I hope our paths cross again. And um, I look forward to additional engagements with you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.